This is The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. David is the senior pastor of Calvary Chapel Casa Grande in Casa Grande, Arizona. As they look for it, more often than not, anxiety and distress come even more than finding peace. The problem is, man isn't looking for peace in the right way. They're not looking for that true and for that lasting peace that only God gives. He wants peace on his own terms. He wants peace that brings immediate gratification. He wants peace that's going to give him some kind of a physical representation to the rest of the world that says, see, I've got it. The world can define peace, but it doesn't know peace. We are a culture bent on excess in pursuit of filling that void in our lives, creating an environment for ourselves that is the exact opposite of what we crave. There's nothing peaceful about the amount of energy it takes to sustain these lifestyles. We have the solution requiring nothing but thankfulness, prayer and faith on our part. If we trust God in everything, we'll have an authentic peace exceeding what we try to manufacture ourselves. Let's join Pastor David in the book of Isaiah, chapter 52, verse 7, for part one of our message entitled, The Promise of Peace. The angelic chorus that night, there on the hillside outside of Bethlehem, came together with that great chorus singing, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. As we read earlier, the verses there of Isaiah in chapter 52, says, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who proclaims peace. Isaiah was written in a time frame where the northern kingdom, Israel, had already fallen to the Assyrians. The southern kingdom, Judah, had been attacked by the Assyrians, and many of the cities in the outskirts had been damaged or even taken over by the Assyrians, but Jerusalem itself had not fallen Yet at that point, as a matter of fact, God saved them from the attack of the Assyrians. And as Isaiah writes to Judah, the southern kingdom, he gives them warnings. He gives them the declaration of God that with all of their sin, with all of their rebellion against God, God was going to bring discipline to them. But at the same time that he was giving the bad news, He also was promising them good news. He was promising them peace. Well, today, you and I, we're surrounded by chaos. There's no doubt about it. The world is in absolute chaos. We see nation fighting against nation. We see racial and tribal and religious genocide going on in various places around the world. We see, even in our own country, a generation and even a culture that seems to entirely lost its way. And if we're honest with ourselves, if we really think about this ourselves, we understand that it's kind of difficult in the midst of all of this to have any real and true sense of peace when we look at the world. And yet many within our world, they try to find peace in a variety of ways. They look for peace in a multitude of things. And yet as they look for it more often than not, Anxiety and distress come even more than finding peace. The problem is, man isn't looking for peace in the right way. 
They're not looking for that true and for that lasting peace that only God gives. He wants peace on his own terms. He wants peace that brings immediate gratification. He wants peace that's going to give him some kind of a physical representation to the rest of the world that says, see, I've got it. I've got it. And that comes by ways of uh, perhaps a bigger house, a bigger home, a fatter paycheck, a greater health, more friends, more involvement, a higher place in society. All of those things that on the outside, humanity looks at and says, if I just had that, I'd be at peace. If I just had one more, if I just had bigger, if I just had newer, if I had a little bit more acclaim, if my family life was a little bit more balanced out, I'd have peace. But the problem is, is all those things are temporary. And none of those things will give you actual and true lasting peace. And so man continues to pursue peace through all this variety of external ways. They try it with alcohol and drugs just to numb themselves from the chaos and the anxiety that's around them. They try it through gambling or through sex just to build their time to make them feel better. They try it with endless pursuits of pleasure and all of these, every form of amusement that they can afford and many types of amusement that they can't afford. And that's one of the reasons why we're such a debtor nation, because we even go beyond our means to try and find this temporary peace. Some folks feel that if they were just close their eyes and close their ears from all the issues, I don't want to listen to the news. I don't want to read the news. I don't want to see what's happening in the world. I just want to close my eyes, perhaps say a little chant, enter into this thing called nirvana, and just completely get away from all the problems of the world. And that's a a form of escapism. And the problem is, is yeah, escapism works for a short period of time, but it's not lasting. Because eventually your eyes do open up. Eventually your eyes do hear. And eventually you, you understand that the world hasn't really changed. The world, by and large, defines peace in the following ways. Peace is freedom from disturbance, quiet, tranquility. Or peace is freedom from the cessation of war and violence. But the world still doesn't know peace. As a matter of fact, from the beginning of recorded history, they go all the way back to 3600 B.C., From that time until today, we have had, that we know of, over 14,500 major wars in the world. Prior to World War I, that averaged out to be about two and a half wars a year that are begun throughout our world. World War II, the one where the slogan was, the war to end all wars... Since World War II, it's changed. It's now up to three wars a year. Man is looking for peace, but he can't find it because he's looking at a place other than the Prince of Peace. The New York Times once said that peace is a fable. The fact is, is if you look around in the world on the world's terms and in humanity's terms, you'd have to agree with it. But the biblical view is so different. The biblical view looks at peace in an entirely different way. It recognizes that peace isn't an absence of trouble. 
peace isn't a cessation of war or violence. As a matter of fact, over and over and over again, the biblical peace, we see it's totally unrelated to the circumstances that we're currently in. And over and over again, the Bible confirms the fact that we are a world that is filled with trouble and will continue to be filled with trouble until the very time that God calls a halt to all of it. And yet, as we read this morning, peace is a promise of God. Peace is a promise of God to all those that know him. Peace, true, everlasting peace. Jesus declared that he had come to give that kind of peace. Even the night that he was betrayed, and if you think about the intensity of this, we read about it in John's Gospel in John 14, but we read where Jesus is there with the disciples, knowing who's going to betray him, knowing that in just a few short hours he was going to be arrested, tried and executed. He knew that in just a few short hours, these disciples who weren't totally focused on what was going on would be thrown into absolute chaos of life because everything that they left three years ago to go and follow now is going to be executed. Their life is going to be in absolute turmoil. And yet in John 14, in verse 27, Jesus tells these very same disciples that he knows in just a few short hours, the world is going to fall apart. The bottom is going to be pulled out from underneath them. And he tells them, peace, I leave with you. My peace, I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Now, how could that be? How was it going to be that in the midst of everything that was going on, that they could have peace? How in the midst of everything that's going on in our life today, you and I can really have peace? And some of your lives, I know, is in a whirlpool. It's like somebody has taken your very life and thrown it in the blender, and they didn't just turn it on two or three. No, they put it on 15, okay? And that's the way your life feels right now. For some of you, Maybe life is fairly calm right now, but next week the blender's coming out, and you don't even know it yet. Well, I believe that before we can completely obtain the type of peace that Jesus is speaking about, first of all, we need to understand what true peace is. What is true peace? According to the Word of God, as our relationship with Jesus Christ grows, our focus on the things of this world and our place in it begins to change. And as I grow in Christ, as I mature in Christ, the world will become less, Christ becomes more. Our desires and our pursuits in life begin to change. Before we came to Christ, our lives were most often controlled by circumstances. The things that went on around us, that's what controlled our lives. We were like the proverbial pinball machine. We were the little silver ball that was bouncing around from circumstances and issues. Oh, we knew where we wanted to go, or we thought we knew where we wanted to go. But the circumstances of life bounces here and there all over the place. But when we come to Christ, we come to understand and we begin to grow in the greatness of who God is, the greatness of the reality of his sovereignty in our life, and we should come to that point of being able to rest 
wholly and completely in his care and in the power of his presence in our lives so that when literally all hell breaks loose within our lives, there is a stability that we can stand. There is a hope that we can hold on to. There's a promise that remains firm in our life. That biblical definition of peace, for me, it's a quiet confidence in the midst of chaos. A confidence of knowing that our God reigns. It's having that knowledge that in the midst of our suffering, that our God was not only acquainted with our sorrows, but he bore the greatest of our grief. He carried the heaviest of our sorrows. Isaiah speaks to us in chapter 53, where he says in verse 5, it says that he, speaking of Jesus, he allowed himself to be wounded for our transgressions. He opened himself up to be bruised for our iniquities. He permitted the chastisement of our peace to come upon him, and by his stripes were healed. But you see, when we're outside of relationship with Christ, the sad thing is for those who don't know Christ, unknown to them at this present time, is that their greatest grief, their greatest sorrow, isn't something that they can see or feel right now at this point in time. The greatest grief, the greatest sorrow that they have, most of them are unknowledgeable of the fact is that eternity is standing before them, and eternity separated from God with an eternal punishment for their sin. And you see, most who don't know Christ don't even know the greatest of the grief that's set before them. And yet when we come by faith to Christ, we recognize not only the greatness of our sin, but we recognize the immensity of God's gift toward us. When we come with a heart of repentance and a desire to give our lives to to Christ, to receive that gift of forgiveness, then the word says that we become new creatures in Christ, a new creation. The old things are passed away. Our lives change. And we begin on a journey of faith, a journey that's fueled by the Holy Spirit of God, a journey that's been demonstrated to us by generations and generations of believers before us. In the book of Hebrews, turn there with me if you would, in Hebrews chapter 12. The word tells us there that there has been a generation, well, multiple generations that have gone before us. Chapter 11 of Hebrews attests to that. But in chapter 12 of Hebrews in verse 1, he says, Therefore, we also, since we are what? Surrounded by so great a cloud of witness. That cloud of witness is those generations of believers who have gone on before us. And if you're familiar with chapter 11, you know it was those who have left family and homes in search of where God was calling them. They were willing to forsake the events and the pleasures of this present world in order to obtain the pleasure of God in their lives. They were the ones that because of their commitment to the things of God lost their very lives, lost their possessions in this time frame and in this land. Why? Because they knew that they were just pilgrims here. And they're that great cloud of witness that's there. And because that cloud of witness has gone before us, the writer of Hebrews says, now what you and I need to do is we need to lay aside every weight and sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance that race that's set before us looking unto Jesus 
the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He goes on to say we too need to consider him. We need to consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. When I read those words, weary and discouraged in our souls, I think of a believer who's lost their peace. They no longer have peace in the midst of the chaos. And in the midst of the hecticness, suddenly their eyes have been taken off of looking unto Jesus, and they start looking at the circumstances that surround them. And in looking at the circumstances that surround them, they have become weary, they become discouraged in their souls. And the Word says that you and I need to keep our eyes on Jesus. It's because he kept his eyes on Jesus that the Apostle Paul, along with Silas, there in that city of Philippi, as they were proclaiming the message and the hope of the gospel when they were arrested for, again, the turmoil that the preaching of the gospel caused in that city. They were thrown not just in jail, but no, they were thrown into the inner places of that jail. You might consider that into the very dungeon, the very darkest of the pit of that Roman jail. And as they were thrown into that jail, their feet were shackled, and in the darkness... Paul and Silas began to sing. Nobody knows the trouble I've seen. Is that what they did? If you're familiar with your word, know what they began to do is to praise and glorify the Lord Jesus. They had a praise service in the pit of a jail with their feet shackled with no idea what tomorrow was going to bring. I wish I could say that I know that if that happened to me, that's exactly what I would do. But praise God, I've never been thrown in jail because of the gospel. I've never had my feet shackled because I dared proclaim the name of Jesus. Paul and Silas, that was a real deal for them. Because they had inner peace that wasn't controlled by their circumstances, they were able to worship and praise God even in the pit of a jail. That's why Paul would write later to the church of Philippi. He says, I've learned in whatever state I'm in to be content. That's inner peace. That's the peace that Jesus desires to bring into the life of every believer in whatever situation you find yourself in. And again, if you know the story of Paul, you realize he has gone through it. He's been imprisoned. He's been beaten. He's been shipwrecked. He's been left to die after they've stoned him over and over and over again. This man has gone through so much, but yet he writes and he says, but you know what? I've learned that when I abound or when I'm abased, when I have what I don't have, when I'm cold and dark or on the brightest of days, whether my life is in peril or whether things are going good, to be content. Guys, that's inner peace. That's a solidity of life that is able to bear through all the hecticness, all the stress, all the pain that this life does bring. Don't tell me this morning, well, my life has no stress. My life has no pain. My life has just been absolutely wonderful since the day I was born. 
Never even cried as a baby. I'll say it's time to open your eyes, open your ears, get into the real life. Life comes about and hits every one of us. The thing is, is where do we stand in Christ in the midst of these things? That's why as part of our growing relationship with Christ, James reminds us, he says, consider it all, what? Joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. That doesn't compute in the world system. That just does not make sense in the economy of the world that when you go through trials that you would just consider it joy. But you know what? In God's economy, it does. Because in God's economy, you and I aren't to be basing our life on the circumstances that surround us. There's going to be a multitude of trials that come our way. And yet, for the child of God, we can have that kind of peace in the midst of the trial. But you know what? You and I both know that more often than not, that kind of peace doesn't come instantly. A trial will hit even the most mature believer, and they will be rocked if that trial is hard enough and deep enough. And if we're honest with ourselves, we'll say, yes, I trust in God, but my world is kind of rocking right now. And I'm not really sure. I know that God is there. I know that God is in control, but I'm just kind of struggling right now. And if we're honest with ourselves, we'll say, yeah, those things have happened. As a matter of fact, we read that those things happen all through the Bible, Old Testament and New. So why is it that believers would come into a point and place of trials in their lives and not have peace, when we're called to have peace. I believe there's a couple of reasons, and I want to give them to you very quickly. Number one, sometimes we are placed in trials that go longer than we, we anticipate them. They grow deeper than we could have ever imagined them. Why? Because God himself has placed us in a place of testing, a place of refining, a place that says you need to be strengthened in your spirit because right now your spiritual life is about this shallow and what you don't know is next year or two years or ten years from now you're going to need to be this deep. So we're going to begin working on that in your life. In Psalm, turn there if you would, the book of Psalms, in Psalm number 13, we don't know when this Psalm was written, but we do know that David wrote it. We can speculate a lot about when it was written, but it's all speculation. One thing we do know that David's life was filled with hecticness, with chaos, with attacks of the enemy. No one would say that David, even though he was king of Israel, had an easy life. God blessed him. God cared for him. But his life was not easy. And somewhere in the process of David's life, he wrote words that I believe other believers have in their own lives. In Psalm 13, he writes, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? How long will my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and, and hear me, O Lord my God. Enlighten my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death, lest my enemies say I have prevailed against him lest those who trouble me rejoice when I'm moved. We look at these words and we understand, here's a guy that's going through some pretty deep stuff in his life, and he's being very honest. 
He's being very forthright. He knows that God is there. He understands the power and the might of God. He's calling out to God. He hasn't rejected God and run the other way. No, in the midst of this thing, he still falls forward. And he falls forward into the arms of God, crying out to him. But at the same time, we know, man, it is a struggle in his life. But the great thing is, we read more of the answer in verse 5. He says, But I have trusted in your mercy. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. On behalf of Pastor David Landry and the entire production team here at The Open Word, we want to wish you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. This has been a special edition of The Open Word with Pastor David Landry of Calvary Chapel Casa Grande in Casa Grande, Arizona. To learn more about The Open Word, visit our website at theopenword.com. You can download today's teaching or subscribe to The Open Word Podcast. Subscribing to The Open Word Podcast is the best way to stay up to date with all the latest messages from David. To subscribe, log on to theopenword.com, click on the podcast option on the homepage, or simply search for The Open Word in the iTunes Store. You can also give us a call if you'd like. That number to call is 520-836-9676. That's 520-836-9676. Another option to get in touch with us is to send us an email. Our email address is info at theopenword.com. That's info at theopenword.com. When you contact us, please let us know the call letters of the station you heard The Open Word on and how today's broadcast has blessed you. Your feedback helps us know the Lord's direction for this ministry. Once again, you've been listening to The Open Word with Pastor David Landry of Calvary Chapel in Casa Grande, Arizona. And again, we want to wish you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year.